people side will always win. I think if you leave people like Steve Jobs, take them to an island, they will still do a startup. They will still create something amazing, you know. Uh, that's just my thinking on it. They don't need uh, to be at Stanford. Well, Manoj, thank you for joining us today. Uh, EdTech is a super hot space these days. There's a you know a lot of, lot happening in the EdTech space. I've been watching you know especially since COVID when everyone, all the schools, you know all the K through 12 and even you know universities all just kind of suddenly found themselves r- remote overnight. Uh, back in you know March 2020, we all remember that, especially people with kids, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I'm really interested to, to you know, hear more about you and specifically what you're kind of seeing in this ed tech space as, you know, we kind of have these massive uh, transformations in, in, uh, in, you know, in the industry. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. Well, thanks for, uh, thank you for having me here. Uh, I appreciate the, the time. I think, um, so as you said, the, the change was pretty dramatic and this was nobody anticipated, you know, going full remote and some of the things that in the areas of the world where you couldn't even see or or, or consider those options. But I think some of these change, changes are also temporarily and they will, you know, revert back. And some some are actually, they, they are a stopgap in a sense, like if you look at, uh, you know, what's happening in higher ed, so in a way, not much has changed. Higher ads were always doing some sort of remote. We had complete online universities. What changed is this lot of ad tech companies came up that are not necessarily, you know, into higher ed or even K-12. They are more auxiliary, you know, education, especially areas in India, you know, providing like tutoring services or private uh, uh, learning. So they said that some of that is going to stay. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, what? Uh, so, so you're you're with uh, you're you're the CTO at Echo Three Sixty. So, uh, tell me just for the context for this show uh, a little bit about what Echo Three Sixty does. Is it more in the K through twelve space? Is it more higher ed? You know, universities. Is it uh, you know mostly U.S. international? Just kind of like a general gist, so I, I have that frame of reference and the listeners as well. Absolutely. So, Echo Three Sixty is. Uh... I would say mostly in higher ed, where we do have significant uh, presence in K-12, but uh, just uh, more in higher ed. We are a global uh, company. We have a uh, large customer base in North America, Europe, APAC, particularly in the regions like Australia and New Zealand. And we have multiple uh, products, uh, starting with the lecture capture, you know, recording the classrooms to the entire life cycle management of the video engagement uh, with the students. And then we have other products uh, around uh, polling and uh, presentations, uh, exam management assessments. Uh, so it's a whole suite of products for uh, for universities uh, and, and uh, K-12, basically. Cool, cool. And I saw you joined the company in, in June 2022. So that was kind of at the... Uh... You know the, the 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 markets were kind of changing uh, back then uh, for a lot of tech companies. You, you guys are out in San Francisco. I think San, San Francisco, you know, felt it the worst, uh, especially venture backed companies. Are, are you guys venture backed, or are you uh, like 
bootstrapped or what kind of what stage of a company are, are you at right now? Right. So when I joined in uh, June last year, uh, these two companies actually, Turning Technologies and Echo360, they were coming together. So Turning uh, actually purchased Echo360 and maintained the brand Echo360. Uh, the goal is to be a one-stop shop for all these, uh, you know, instructor, administrator, student uh, needs. Uh, these the company is uh, P owned. Uh, they were earlier individually, uh, you know, VC funded and we uh, uh, run by founders, but now it's uh, it's a uh, private equity owned right now. So you guys are past like the the cash burn phase. You guys are you know into profitability and kind of like scaling up and acquiring market share at this at this point. Yeah, well, at this point, uh, you know, I'm, I'm yes, absolutely. I'm glad that we are not uh, in this market. You don't want to be the one asking for money uh, <laughs> for investors. And uh, so it could be where we are in the place we are in right now. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I've had a few uh, few people on the show recently that, uh, you know, are still venture backstage, some of them earlier stage, some of them later stage. And they're they're definitely like kind of talking about, you know, how do you preserve runway, preserve capital, kind of, you know, re rethink your your growth strategy and uh yeah i think it's it's an interesting road ahead uh for, for these types of companies but uh i don't know the market's kind of you know acting weird it seems like all of a sudden you know things are good again but then you know what's you know what's what's next week and <laughs> it's hard, hard to know i mean so. silicon valley bank just uh you know today i mean what what the heck is going on there yeah, and, and it's uh, interesting we are talking today, and you brought it up. I live, uh, I'm in the Bay Area. I actually live 10 miles from the headquarters of Silicon Valley Bank. And this is not a small, you know, a mom and pop shop kind of bank. This is the 16th largest bank in the country. And overnight, it just, uh, you know, went down very much. So, yeah, I think uh, it's still uh, a lot to find out where it's headed, you know, what's happening. But uh, I think at least this year is not going to get any easier for for uh, venture funded companies, and it's going to have ripple effect, uh, you know, all around. It's not just uh, everybody gets affected. We all are so connected in the economy these days. Situation there. Hopefully, I mean, FDA is involved now, so it's going to get resolved. And and I think they said that by Monday things should be back to normal. Hope so. I mean, I, I yeah. heard like yesterday, the news just kind of started yesterday. They tried to do that capital raise or issue stock or whatever, I guess, on Tuesday. And, uh, you know, I guess everyone kind of picked up that it was a little rushed or something. So uh, yesterday I was seeing I was catching the news and, every, you know, the news yesterday was saying, oh, it's overhyped. You know, VCs are just, you know, you know, creating the problem and that it's, you know, it's going to be a bank run because the VCs are telling all the startups not, you know, to pull their money out. And then, you know, all of a sudden today, it's like, all right, you know, government's coming in, regulators are taking over, Silicon Valley Bank is, you know, uh, in in bad, in bad trouble. And, you know, if you've got over 250k, you know, you have to call the FDIC. And I, I don't know, I mean, I, I have a few friends who use it. Uh, for their startups and they they have over 250k in their accounts and they're they're uh you know a little stressed out you know to say the least they're stressed out right now yes i think that's a very good point and and many times i think uh, things uh you know especially in the united states they run so smoothly people don't even think about these things many times and that the limit you know you're talking about brand to 50k i mean that's gonna come into the play depending on what happens to the 
to the assets. And that's what uh, FDIC has come out and said that, hey, if you are if you are under that limit, you know, you're going to get your money back on Monday or you will have access to it. But then um, uh, who knows what's going to happen to the rest of it? You know, so. friend of mine was theorizing that, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, as long as there's no fraud going on, which there does not appear to be any fraud uh, so far, there's no, you know, smell of fraud happening. So as long as there's no fraud that the bonds, I guess, should work itself out. And over the next few months, they should be able to unwind it and get the cash back out of the bonds and then reissue the cash back to all of the rightful account holders. But I guess they can't pull the money out of the bonds right now because of like, penalties or something if you try to you know close the bonds early i don't you know i'm not a finance guy so i don't i don't know all this stuff but i'm interested to hear like what kind of cool stuff are you working on these days like is there any like cool technical problems or cool products or anything that's like you know when you wake up in the morning like what's the most exciting thing that you want to go get started on well to me the most exciting thing is um how much more can be done in an ad tech and despite all the news and all the you know uh, all the startups that come out, as I said in the beginning, that you know some of that is uh, uh, I don't think it's going to last forever. They were more like copycat, you know, kind of thing. But the demand was so high that nobody really cared. It's mostly like the dot com times. You know, they were retail uh, online retail stores everywhere, and then only the kind of like Amazon survives. So. Um, it's uh, similar here. So there's a lot more actual work to be done. The focus again for us is the the higher ad and, and K-12 and these uh, uh, institutions. So in terms of the technology, we are obviously closely following uh, on AI trends. There's a lot of focus on adaptive learning. Uh, so one thing that's, uh, that's happening is, uh, and again, this is not too, too much to do with the pandemic, that just the, the way the learning overall is, you know, there's more of focus on uh, focused learning that, hey, you know, instead of just having a standard test for a class of 50, you uh, need to give more custom contents and get to know each uh, person where they are. And um, so AI is one, obviously, that we deal with a lot of video technology, a lot of video trends, you know, the, the 4Ks and the simulations and what you can do uh, online or remote uh, using videos that was not possible earlier because of the bandwidth that's available now, all the technology that's available. And then um, uh, if you look at uh, with all these tools, how does this affect the instructors? By the end of the day, the quality of education is only as good as what instructors are able to do in the classroom. And if you see now more and more, the, the instructors are sort of becoming like the more collaborators. They are like uh, putting the pieces together, you know, the, hey, this content is here, this content is here. Instead of, you know, coming in and giving a lecture, they also have this uh, new task of bringing it all together, making all these techn technical pieces work. So we are excited. Uh, I think uh, we work closely, obviously, with our customers uh, following the trends. The good news for us is we we do work with the you know a lot of universities, a lot of very uh, deep into engineering. So we do get advice. You know our customers, instructors, students, they are pretty smart people. They are actually working on some of these technologies themselves. So we are just uh, collaborating and and um, just focus again is on improving that instructor student uh, engagement making it easy and uh, 
taking away all the non-productive uh, tasks. So you, you just said a lot of stuff there. A few things stood out to me that I'm interested in. Uh, I'm going to try not to forget them because I want to touch on each of them in a little bit more detail. But uh, you know, the first one. Uh, so you talked about using AI uh, and and specifically about kind of tailoring the learning experience or tailoring the content. You know, the the learning content experience to the students. And uh, so I, I've done that in marketing, you know, like with, you know, customizing landing pages and customize, you know, kind of like, you know, uh, basically using, uh, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them? Uh, like archetypes. So you kind of you figure out you can do reverse IP lookup on the user and figure out what company they're with and then what industry that company's in and then tailor the content to the archetype. Uh, so, so that, that's awesome. That's super powerful. It's proven in marketing that that works. And, uh, you know, often marketing is based in like psychological principles. If it's working, then there's some sort of, you know, human element to how we behave as humans that, you know, makes people more likely to do the behavior you're trying to get them to do. Uh, you know, so I, I'm really interested in how that applies to the classroom. You know, like, can, can you give me some specific examples of, you know, what, what you guys are putting into your products to tailor the learning experience to students. And then, you know, a secondary question of that, are you guys building, are you guys training your own models? Are you using open AI APIs? You know, how are you implementing these uh, machine learning uh, aspects into your, your application stack? Yeah, absolutely. So the AI has uh, uh, multiple implications for us, uh, for, uh, uh, ad tech companies. The one is, you know, as we all know now, uh, chat GPD, right? things like that. So basically, if you take that and look at what students can do, you know, they, so if I gave a standard question or say, hey, everybody go home and write an essay about it, uh, majority of the people and, and on the schools are banning it, companies are banning it, but that how, we know how that goes. That's not going to stop people from using it. They're going to go home and they're going to uh, do all kinds of things. So that, what we think, again, this is in the early stage and this, you know, it's all playing out. Uh, the implication will be more real-time engagement, more smaller tasks to, you know, instead of giving one big test, take home, you know, you do, you have three days to, to complete it. It will be more, you know, uh, live, you know, quick questions, polling and uh and uh, quizzes, things like that in the classroom, that will become a better tool. That's where we focus a lot. So that is a side effect of what's happening in the AI world. We're not necessarily doing AI ourselves. The other side of it is for us is, as I said, the adaptive learning that's in the early stage uh, for us. Uh, but that's the, like, again, the implication is that hey, it's not the standard test that works. And if you look at the, the SAT, they're the first time they are becoming adaptive this year. So they're going to go, they are going to be computer-based and they are going to have adaptive like the, uh, instead of the standard test for everybody. So again, the focus is on, you know. So how, how does that become adaptive? I'm sorry for interrupting, but so the SAT, when you say adaptive, does that mean that it's got branching like inter-test inter, uh, question branching or is it like adaptive in the sense that you're not taking it in one sitting but you're taking it throughout the course of your you know semester or whatever so they're becoming adaptive the first thing you said so basically depending on how you answer you will be branched out that hey you know you take this path or take this path 
So you, uh, I mean, like the, some of the other tests used to be like that. The SAT was always a standard paper-based test. So again, the idea is to tailor the test based on how you're doing. And in the classroom, for example, you know, take another example. If we take the poll, let's say, uh, instructors wants to know if the students are following what they're teaching. And depending on the response, they, you know, there's a, now you can tailor or instructor can tailor the content that uh, the homework is going to be different, let's say, based on how people responded. Or the, the following, uh, you know, the, the next set of questions is going to be different, uh, for example. See, right now, the, it's in, in many ways, the, everybody in the room is treated the same way in the classroom. You know, you have a standard curriculum. And education is mostly time bound that, hey, we have three months to finish this course and everybody's going to go through. And as we all know, the grades vary a lot. You know, some people do really well, some don't. And um, there's not much done to address that, that, hey, you know, band of the semester, you know that this person didn't get as good a grade as the, somebody else. But then the goal is not to, you know, know at the end of it. The goal is to tailor, you know, and see what how we can improve that level of learning that's taking place. You talked about this concept of like collaborators in the classroom, you know, like it's very much like a, like a memorization, you know, learn these things, do well on tests, you know, and then like, it's kind of like, there's like a very academic approach or philosophy behind how schools and universities work, maybe less so in certain types of university settings, but, uh, in general, like academia is not how the rest of the world works typically. Like the world works very differently. So I think there's, you know, like there's certain people that excel in academia and do poorly in the real world, and then vice versa. People that do poorly in academia and then excel in the real world in very different ways. Like, is there a way that you could see how academia can better position to? align maybe more closely to what the real world is like, or at least, you know, in, in a sense, uh, you know, there's always different paths. So it's, you know, you could be somebody that's like an architect working on buildings. You could be somebody who's like a general contractor or like a contractor, you know, doing construction, you know, blue collar type work. The architect's a little bit more white, white collar, but, uh, or you could be, uh, you know, a software engineer, or you could be, you know, a VP of, you know, finance or like, you know, an executive, you could be a CFO or a COO, or you could be an entrepreneur and build companies. Like there's all these different paths and they're very different. And like the way that the skills you need, the personality traits that you need, the, you know, the background foundational knowledge that you need is all different for all these different paths. And uh, I don't know that academia is dynamic enough to like, you know, I think there's maybe like a certain kind of lane that academia takes you down that maybe fits like certain things. But uh, I'm, you know, kind of just I'm trying to word the question properly. So I just did all this, uh, this big build up. We can put in a drum roll here. But, uh, you know, uh, what what do you think can happen in academia to better align with the real world? And did my question even make sense to you? I guess I should ask as well. No, no, absolutely. And this is obviously, you know, the the deep, deeper question, right? Uh, you know, the academia and, and uh, the institutions always try to address that. I think the, you said, well, you're not a good student, but the problem is, how do you know you're not a good student? So the challenge is the metric itself, right? So you can say, for example, 
you see like school actually schools and colleges are already doing it you know the the problem is with the measurements so if you look at like your case even you say well, you're not a good student well, first of all you did pretty well so i would say you were a good, good student whatever you were doing there you were really preparing for what is needed in, in real you know in real world out there i would say the exams were wrong <laughs> they didn't catch that and didn't give you the top grade so take an example so you can have a one student in the same school they go in there they participate in you know every sport they participate in speech and debate they participate in you know they are doing robotics they are doing every possible thing if school is providing you 20 opportunities they will do 10 of them they can do everything where they can you know practically fit in right and then there is one student who goes in there they attend the classes they get the a plus grades you know they they but they're not touching any of that right so school is actually increasing the problem is now if you look at these and you say our measurement tend to be more vertical so you're going to say hey, you got a plus right we call hey, you know is a plus student he or she things like that right but you don't say well he's b but look how many he did or she did right but that's in academia is to uh is to be like the best at your major and to get good grades right uh in the classes you're taking uh but that doesn't necessarily like you used a good example like you know so the person who does two sports and has all these different classes and instead of trying to be like the best at a couple things they're learning a lot of different things so they might be learning maybe they have a double major maybe they're maybe they're learning uh you know uh they're going for an MBA uh or they or they're getting like you know some sort of business uh degree or communications degree or computer science degree and then maybe they're also getting some sort of like arts degree or like a philosoph you know philosophy degree or something and they're playing sports so they're getting like physical real world tactile experience they're getting you know the computer science the technical knowledge they're getting the arts and philosophy knowledge and they're like they're going to be a probably a more well-rounded human uh because they have all three of those than somebody who just like immersed themselves in being the best mathematician in the entire yeah. university yeah exactly but the you know the like you asked the question you know what can academia do i think they are already doing it the opportunity is there i think you know just the way we look at in the society the whole setup you know for example hey you know if i'm going to be a software engineer i i'm better off spending more time sitting in you know in my room and learning programming you know uh, rather than you know to running you know in in heat out there with my cross country team right for example so that's uh, but then um, and you you're going to be fine you know nobody's going to complain you're okay you got the job you're a software engineer now but then um, you could argue the person who was doing you know many other things they they may be better off in long term you know they they may become a leader they may become the you know uh just uh, they they are exposed to so much so in summary i think i i think the opportunity is there you know academia can they do more yeah i think if you see like more and more school now you know not considering sat that could be that trend that hey you know uh, we don't want uh, this uh, people just going in and attending all these coaching you know instead you know going to these centers 
and spending hours and hours trying to get a good score. The challenge with that is what do you replace it with? You know, now I ask the question, hey, what are you going to do if you're not going to look at SAT, let's say? Now it's all about grades. I mean, what else you look for? It's very, some of these things, it's very difficult to, they become so subjective now, you know, like. Yeah, and that's just even like the university level. I mean, uh, you know, I, I think there's, I, I understand like how universities try to, uh, you know, kind of like create a score for somebody like this. They did, they did these classes. This is the grades they got. This is, you know, that, and that's, you know, it, there's two pieces to that. One is that they helped prep the person, the individual for, uh, you know, they helped prep the person with a certain set of skills and relationships that they have obtained through the university. And then also that's like, you know, a ticket that you take into the real world to show potential employers that, you know, hey, here's what I did. And uh, this is why I might be a valuable asset to your company. And then, you know, help attract, you know, quality opportunities. I, I think it's in, in a lot of cases it works out. And in a lot of cases, it doesn't work out in that sense where you might have exception an exceptional person that can do exceptional things that just didn't fit the mold or or maybe someone that like scores really well and like does a really good job in school goes into the real world and they just like they can't kind of like understand how certain things work like maybe they're going into a company like a corporate environment and maybe it's like uh you know, maybe it's like the kind of environment where in order to excel, you need to know how to sell yourself and you need to know how to sell your ideas. But in school, like they're so used to just, you know, the merit of the grade is what excels you. So when you go into that environment and like not understanding sales and the concept of selling yourself and selling your ideas, that person might fall short in that environment because they just think like doing the best job is what's going to advance them, but they don't understand the concept of selling. Yeah, exactly. And to your point, you know, you raised earlier that uh, how do you even define that? You know, like, hey, well, and I think it's um, like I, I remember when I just out of fresh out of college, when I started as a software engineer, I read some you know article that 80% of your success is all communication, you know, 20% is skill. And it said something about even for the software engineers. And I actually laughed it off. I'm like, why you know i'm gonna sit there and do my programming and life is gonna be good but that's not you know that's not how it works you know most of the time you are communicating you're collaborating and you're doing those things so those skills are really important and going back to sat you know i had a mixed feeling about it you know i know the people are working hard a lot of smart people trying to improve the system but it can go both ways you know you can have a uh, for example, you know, you can have the, the, the knock on this is that, hey, you are rich, you have access to resources, you can do better in SAT. But the other side of it is, is you can be, you know, not have access to a lot of resources. You may not be able to play a lot of sports because you couldn't afford it. Your parents couldn't drive you all the, to the practices. But one thing you could do is go to your library and do really well in SAT because that was the easiest thing you could do. And now you took it away. So now you are out there competing on things that were really difficult for you in the first place. So I don't know where it's gonna go, I think, but the trend is there. You're seeing every you know every month, you see one big school just saying no to SAT now. 
I'm curious too. So you're, you're in SF, uh, you know, obviously one of the top schools in the country, Stanford is, is in, uh, uh Palo Alto, I believe. Uh, it, there's no other university that I know of. Like, I don't even think Harvard, I could be wrong, but I, I don't even think like Harvard or any of these other universities that are as well known create as many entrepreneurs as Stanford. I think Stanford in the, at least in the United States, as far as I know, creates the highest number of entrepreneurs and, you know, like big companies, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, like Google and, you know, well, Facebook came from uh, Harvard, but, uh, you know, like Google and like all these big Silicon Valley companies. So what do you think is, what do you think that is? Is it like, is it just uh, the fact that like it's elite families sending their kids there? Is it, you know, the, the curriculum and like the, the professors at Stanford are just like some, there's something special there at that school. Is it like something in the water? Like, what do you think? What do you think creates all these all these like you know epic companies coming out of that university? Yeah, I think it's the water um, <laughs> uh, brand for sure. No, I mean uh, you know Stanford is right here. I I just love go there. Love to go there. Just walk around on the campus. Beautiful. I don't know the answer actually, and and I think the MIT does that a lot too. So I was thinking, okay, hey, it's or for biotech, or... yeah, like biotech and you know sciencey right. stuff. Like I think, so, yeah, you're probably you're right. I think like more more tech companies, like uh, software and like startup type companies, come out of Stanford, and more like research oriented, like uh, science, you know, biotech, you know, pharmaceuticals. Uh, therapeutic companies, stuff like that come out of MIT more? Yeah, so this could be one of the, you know, thing where correlation and causality kind of, you know, we may be confusing both. It could be that people who want to do entrepreneurship in computer science related field software, for example, technology, they're like, hey, I've got to be at Stanford. That's where action is. And that's where all the VCs are. That's where all the resources are. So it could be driving that, that, hey, people just choose Stanford because they want to do certain things. And it's not the other way. Hey, you just happen to be at Stanford and you became an entrepreneur. I, I don't know the answer, but I'm curious about, you know, how their recruitment process is. Maybe it is tailored. See, that's why it's always so difficult to, you know, pinpoint these things. What is driving what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting though, like if if we can, as a society, figure out these things, then we can maybe like recreate it more in more places. And uh, it is interesting. I, I think you know, Silicon Valley used to be the place if you're building a software tech company startup, you know, in the United States, like it was the place to be. And we're seeing all these other places pop up. There's like Utah has Silicon Slopes, and now there's Austin and Seattle and. New York City and DC and Boston, even Philly. I'm I'm in Philadelphia. Philly's got, you know, pretty, you know, nothing like some of the other places I just listed, but you know, it's got a pretty awesome startup scene here. And there's, you know, VCs are setting up their satellite offices here and starting to kind of figure out who's doing what at the seed stage now here in Philadelphia. So uh it is kind of uh branching out. But uh if we can understand like what makes the mega companies happen and you know like these super successful entrepreneurs uh you know how can we create it in other places yeah and i think um, brian as you said it's happening more and more across the country not only across the country across the globe now i mean if you look in india now they're really you know unicorns uh, coming out in, in in the fields that uh 
uh, nobody thought of earlier. And and I remember reading a book from a famous uh, VC here a few years ago. And uh, I mean, the book was probably written like 10 years ago, maybe uh, 12, maybe even longer, a little bit longer than that. And that absolutely said, you cannot do a startup unless you are in Silicon Valley. Uh, that was the theme of the book that, hey, this is where it all happens. And now you see that, as you said, they are happening all over. I think obviously uh, technology, you know, the, the communication and all is helping. I think to me, it's always people side will always win. I think if you leave people like Steve Jobs, take them to an island, they will still do a startup. They will still create something amazing, you know. Uh, that's just my thinking on it. They don't need uh, to be at Stanford. They don't need to be, I mean, he was not at Stanford. Uh, they don't need to be in Silicon Valley. They, so some like, but then we get into the, uh, these are, I think you mentioned earlier, these are exceptional. So this may be one of those exceptional situations, but then it just, you know, pulls other people, you know, who may not be that creative and then they get along with the herd kind of thing that they just get motivated or they just get to the next step. So it's multiple things in my opinion, you know, it's like um, some people came in, they started something amazing. These people could have gone anywhere. They could have been in Texas. They could have been in Iowa. I think, you know, when HPY started, they could have probably done it in, in, in anywhere. Just yeah, it's interesting. But, you know, you do bring up the point. So like India is the fastest growing tech ecosystem yeah. globally right now. And it's been that way for about a decade or so. And there's like some incredible startups coming out of India. There's some incredible like VCs, uh, you know, VC funds in India. Uh, but like, you know, and, and I, I do agree. I think like there's like these some of these people that are just, you know, like there's there's just something wired in their brain to build and they're not going to do anything other than build. That those people are out there. But uh, imagine like 30 years ago in India, you know, like if Steve Jobs was was like, you know, in his 20s, 30 years ago, and he was Indian, and he was growing up in, you know, wherever Mumbai or whatever, and he's he's growing up there. And, and he's, uh, you know, in India, before India's tech ecosystem took off. How likely do you think it is that he would have done what he did? Versus if he was in you know, like he was in the right spot in Silicon Valley to be able to do Apple. But how likely do you think he would have been to do Apple if he was in India at the same time period? Yeah, I mean, it's hard question. You know, obviously, my if I have to just express my personal opinion, he would have probably found a way. He would probably found a way to come here from India. The point here is that just being in India would not have stopped him, you know. But he is an exception. Again, we are talking like the top of the top here, you know. That's yeah, yeah. Not, you know, <laughs> there are only few like him, you know, ever existed. So, but I mean, the ecosystem plays a role. Obviously, you know, you can't uh, you can't do it alone, right? You need support. But I think the people play a bigger role. Going back to Stanford, you know, like hey, is it like people set their mind when, you know, from the early days, like, hey, if I want to start a company, I must be in, you know, at Berkeley or Stanford in the area in Silicon Valley, that's where it all happens. And it's like sports, right? It happens, you can say, hey, why all the, you know, big uh, football athletes are coming from, you know, Alabama or LSU, you know, because that's where they go after high school. It's not like, 
Alabama or LSU is producing the football players out of those four years. You know, it happens way before that, you know, so. Manuj, this has been an awesome conversation. Before we close out, is there anything, like, do you want to plug anything, Echo 360 or anything else that you have going on or any closing notes that you have? Well, uh, we are excited. You know, this is the field I love personally. I'm very, you know, uh, uh, passionate about it. You know, education, uh, we have a long way to go. I think uh, we should not, nobody's, you know, obviously we're not getting sidetracked by all that tech news. We don't... Uh, operate in that world. We, there's a lot to be done. A lot of real tech need to be developed. Uh, this is, uh, so overall, we are very excited and and, and working with our partners, our customers uh, to bring all these new exciting tech into our products. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, have a great weekend. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for having me.